Well, it's a warm episode nine. Welcome to you once again. Welcome back to Lost in Postulation. I'm joined as always by Nicola Volpe and I am Neil Fitzpatrick. It is great to have you back and we are delighted to be here once again, closing in on double digit episodes. This is getting serious. We're getting there. We're getting there. So episode nine today, that means episode 10 next, which we should have something special in store for the listeners, shouldn't we? definitely should. It's flown by. Jeez. Yeah. Hard to believe we only started a, bit, a few months ago and now here yeah. we are. But we, are. Uh, we have another great episode lined up. I'm super excited to get into what we're calling the Pop Culture Roundup, which is going to come up as our main section. And uh, before we do that, though, a few quick uh, pieces of housekeeping. So as ever, folks, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see you either tweeting at us or emailing us. You can reach us on Twitter at, at @inpostulation on Twitter. You'll find us uh, hiding away there. And you can also reach us uh, via Gmail, and that is at lostinpostulation at gmail.com. Yes, yes, yes. And while you're at it, you might as well drop us a rating and review on the podcast app of your choosing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got some nice ones already. I think we're five stars on both iTunes and Spotify now. However, the number of reviews is also visible, which may uh, which <laughs> they don't may, need to know that. may send a red, <laughs> a red flag to any potential new listeners. But uh, the more the merrier. So let's all uh, get on and review. Yeah, it really yeah. helps to grow the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, no listener mailbag this week for those of you who are, are enjoying that segment. And the only way to, to make a comeback is to hear more from you. So please do tweet at us and email us and all the rest. We would be delighted to hear from you. But uh, before we get on to our main postulation, I think we have a little uh, intro uh, appetizer postulation. So uh, I don't know what it is. Well, it's it's interesting that you use the term appetizer, actually, Neil, because we need to talk about sandwiches. Oh, okay. And uh, well, first tell me, what do you think about sandwiches as a concept? I think it's uh, probably one of the best food inventions that we have managed as a as a modern like species i think they're a fant- oh wow no, i just really i think they're like uh there's when it's done right when a sandwich is done right and i would you would almost have to include burgers in that right like but in mm. general when a sandwich is done right they are a phenomenal snack slash lunch not a dinner but uh yeah so to care to elaborate a bit on what makes them so phenomenal i think bread in particular any sort of absorbance white bread I, i'm a big fan of the old uh wonder bread nutrients uh nutrient sparse uh, white bread but uh <laughs> bread in its in its very nature is on its own not fant- fantastically exciting but as soon as you add condiments such as ketchup mayonnaise butter sweet chili sauce what have you it absorbs and combines to, to form something more valuable than the sum of its parts. And we haven't even started talking yet about the fillings that we can have. Mm-hmm. Obviously, meats are my go-to. I'm a huge fan of basically any meat filling. But you can also get into some fantastic salads with a bit of acidity, with a bit of a relish to them. Uh, there's a sandwich place just down next to my uh, apartment, which um, when we moved in, I was like uh, a, a bit of a skeptic. I thought, how, how good can it be? But this has become my like absolute lunch go-to hotspot. Wow. Great value, great sandwiches. Love it. Shout out to Hiko Sandwich, if anybody's... Uh, Hiko Sandwich. Yeah, well, there you have it. They're absolutely amazing. How much is he paying you? Uh, not, not enough. For, not, enough. <laughs> not enough for this quality of uh, shout out. Um, are you toasting that bread or are you? Yeah, like if if I had unlimited time, unlimited resources, I would always recommend a toasted. Unlimited toasters. Yeah, I yeah. think the heat, like uh, as we know from the book, uh, what is it? Um, acid, salt, fat, heat. Heat is one of the... Uh, as we all know as from we that all know, book, right? yes. Uh, or at least we've, we've heard the reference. But uh, as we all know, heat adds to the flavor of any food. So I think uh, when you have the opportunity to toast a sandwich, one should generally try to, to do so. Okay, that's fascinating. Fascinating that you would say that. Okay, I feel like I'm, I've just walked into a trap or something. Right? Well, a little bit. For me, there is a matter of principle here. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been very annoyed by me over the years when we've sat down for sandwiches, and I've refused oh. to eat. A sandwich is not 
a meal, in my opinion. Let me, you know, yeah, I can I'll, understand I'll why go down that you think this, bit, but right? you're wrong. But yeah. A sandwich <laughs> is something that uh, you should eat if you're on the go, if you're in a rush. Any time that you have at least three minutes or more where you can sit down, mm-hmm. you should have a meal. Whatever is in that sandwich should be on the plate with a fork, knife, and or chopsticks, whatever. Mm. But we and there's another point as well, right? So one is okay. it's not a meal. So and is, by your definition, it's because it's not a meal because it's not on a plate with knives and forks, right? That's that's part of it, right? Okay, okay. Right? It's, it's meant area. it's meant originally yeah. for you to be on the go, to be on a rush. Mm-hmm. It creates this this idea, it rushes you through eating, essentially, mm. when you have a sandwich, because it's tied to that. Along with that, being combined with the bread, mm. uh, it gives you this false sense of being full for one, two hours at most. Okay, and you'll be hungry again. You're talking about carbs here now, right? Or yeah, like, and your yeah. blood sugar levels as yeah, well, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's, a, there's many sides to go at this from, but I'm making the case against sandwiches. People, if you have time to sit down and have a meal, have a meal. Okay, but... All things being equal, shouldn't I eat something that I will most enjoy that will make me full? Yeah. Okay, tell me your favorite sandwich. We'll, we'll do an experiment. If I went to Hiko Sandwich right now, I would get... Uh, you shout out to Hiko, Hiko Sandwich. Once again. again. Yeah, geez, they, I don't think they're expecting so much of a shout out. Uh, chili mayo with a bit of, uh, as they call it, natural cooling, which is just plain chicken, basically. Uh, iceberg lettuce and then uh, corn, carrots, uh, jalapenos, pickles, and sweet chili sauce on top. And then that gets toasted and it's absolutely phenomenal. Okay, now let's put it like this. Now let's say that Hiko, Mr. Hiko or Mrs. Hiko, mm-hmm. I haven't been there myself, yeah. serves this on a plate with this toast on the bottom mm-hmm. and everything else very nicely presented on top. Mm, like a smart And you have a fork uh, and a knife and you can just eat this. Uh, like that, sitting down, relaxing, not risking choking yourself. Well, to be honest, that is less fit for purpose than the actual sandwich because when I get that sandwich, it's because I have a short lunch. I need to just get it in. Like I can eat it at my desk and just go back to work, you know? I think if I did that whole rigmarole with the plate and all that. But you don't only get a sandwich when you have to eat at your desk, do you now? Well, sometimes. You go to Hiko sometimes mm -hmm. just to go to Hiko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Shout out to Hiko. But it's a great, like every bite is fantastically well balanced. It's like uh, easy to eat. There's no cleaning up of a plate or knife and fork. It has a lot of convenience to offer as well. I think you will. I think you'll have stirred up a bit of controversy with this one. Actually. I certainly have. I don't know if I'll have stirred up as much as you with Christmas music. I'm, gl- I'm just glad it's gone to you rather than me <laughs> now. Yeah. But I'll go in that direction, taking inspiration from from your hating on Christmas music, yeah. where we agreed on rules okay. for Christmas music oh, on yeah, a okay. limit, right? What okay. did we say was one song of each per we, day? Yeah, we said that there would be a quota, so you could have a Christmas song a day in the run up to Christmas, no problem at all, uh, in a public place and in a private place. You can do whatever you want. That was right. the that was the. Uh, suggested rule so here are my rules okay you can have sandwiches when you can't sit down and or you have less than three minutes to eat it with the exception of your one sit down sandwich per month month that's 12 a year that's 12 a year plus the ones you're on the go you You could get up to 20 sandwiches a year i need at least four times as many sandwiches a year i like if we're going to agree on this i need at least one a week that would be my a week yeah I want the option. I, I want to be able to bank it and roll it over. Like in Fantasy Premier League, if you don't use a transfer, I can bank it to but the next week. you can do that from month to month. That's not enough. 12 a year. Jeez. Bi-weekly. I'll be done by February. I'll be bi-weekly. like... Bi-weekly. Okay, bi-weekly. Mm, yeah. So two a month. It's going to cost you. Yeah. Plus the ones where you're on the move and mm-hmm. have less than three minutes. 
I also don't like the on the move part because I think you should basically <laughs> never you should never eat while walking or standing up, right? Not Actually, with as much condiment as you put in. Certainly not. It would get everywhere. And in Japan, it's highly frowned upon. I learned this uh, when I was traveling there that if you go to Seven Eleven and buy a sandwich, and by the way, those sandwiches are absolutely amazing. You're supposed to, and it's expected that you either eat it in the shop at one of the little counters or you stand outside. Do not eat it while walking because they have this whole litter uh, thing, which uh, yeah, they take extremely seriously. But uh, I agree basically that you shouldn't eat while walking or standing up. It's actually, yeah, your, your body needs a, a time to actually digest the food as well, you know. So sit down, take a break. We're getting somewhere. Yeah. So you are allowed two sandwiches per month. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Listeners, this segment was brought to you by Hiko Sandwiches and, <laughs> and all the 7-Elevens in Japan. Jeez. But, okay, now that we've tried this format of uh, plugging at one particular restaurant, I think if there's other restaurants listening who would like us to postulate on as to their offering, please get in touch. We may come back to this topic actually later on in this very episode. Let's see if, uh, if Absolutely. it works. Yeah. Fantastic. So unless you have anything more to add on sandwiches, I'm we'll... Uh, I'm just shocked. Mm-hmm. I, I think the sandwich uh, started by the Earl of Sandwich almost uh, two or three hundred years ago, I think. An Irish lad. I think he was English, to be fair. Yeah, hey. yeah I know. Surprisingly, but, you like it so much. Then. Yeah, exactly. This is one of the few things where I'm, uh, I'm willing to take the Bridging the divide. Absolutely. Um, future sandwich episode, I'm fine to take that, but I think this, we've already covered it uh, pretty well here. But, Listeners, uh, this is a topic ripe for your counter-postulations. Absolutely. Come at me yeah. or come at Neil, but... Don't come at me. Yeah. Come with something. yeah. yeah. We'll be back with our pop culture roundup after the break. Welcome back once again, listener. Looking forward to getting into, as we're calling it, the pop culture roundup. The first of what could be many, what could be none, let's see. But uh, we uh, are going to be running at a slightly higher pace than normal. So what we like to do with with the podcast for the regular listener who will know is uh, we start with an opening one like we just did. And then we really deep dive into one particular topic. That's not what we're going to do this time. So instead, uh, what we're going to try and do is catch up on all the other things we've been consuming that haven't really made it into this podcast so far as a, as a big topic, whether there's just not enough content to make a full episode out of it, or we just literally haven't had time to get to it. Uh, so everything's uh, up for grabs here in pop culture. So we're, we're going to talk about things ranging from music to podcasts to books to series. Uh, we'll probably avoid film, given that we've put so much time into film right. in the last few episodes. Uh, even food is is uh, within uh, the realm of discussion. Restaurants, things like that. So sandwiches, in the, as we've just seen, yeah. So loads to to get through, actually. And uh, as ever, I think it'll be a, an interesting, wide ranging discussion. So looking forward to getting into it. I think Nicola, you have agreed to kick us off with the first one. Yes, I can do that. So Neil, recently on on my travels, I was cracking out the old literature yeah. books. With pages, you know, flipping wow. through them, um, and uh, and one of the the authors I've gone back to uh, a couple times over these last uh, these last two three years or so has been Hanya Yanagihara. Mm-hmm. She is um, she she's an American novelist uh, about 40, 45 years old, and she's writing these about six to seven hundred page novels, which are different than anything else you'll you'll read, mm-hmm. right? So. Okay. In her first uh, novel, which was a huge like word of mouth success globally, A Little Life, uh, she delved very deeply into very difficult to cover topics such as child abuse, for example, abusive relationships, uh, you know, things like cutting, you know, we might have to put trigger warnings mm, in here, mm, but mm. 
Um, tough topics, 700 pages, uh, books that people struggle to sleep at night Ooh, with. Yeah. People are crying the reactions when you're sharing them. But the prose is of another level and you're flipping through this. So wow. she met, th- she finds this and it's really like an artist, you know, at, at their best, right? Mm. Where through, you know, sheer talent, they're able to get you even on the hardest topics to just keep going, keep trudging along and not, you know, want to want to throw this book away. Right. And, and especially because that first one was just this huge word of mouth success. Right. Mm. Uh, and not so pushed with the marketing. Now, after that huge success, last year, she released another novel called To Paradise, again, around 700 pages. And that's what I read on my recent holiday. Mm. Super ambitious. So basically what she's done, I've never read a novel like that. It's three parts, each part taking place in another century, exactly 100 years removed. So the first part is in 1893. The second part, 1993. And the last one mm. is 2093. And the last part is a dystopian, uh, a pandemic apocalyptic, climate change apocalyptic uh, book. She was essentially writing three different books at the same time. Uh, her publisher challenged her uh, to uh, to choose one. And she said, no, I'm going to put all three together. Nice. And she ma- just masterfully finds a common red thread to link all of these together. Um, it's not a book that you say is necessarily about one thing. Mm. I couldn't tell you what kept me hooked other than just her prose yet again, okay. right? Yeah. And that's often the thing. People, you read a book, you read a novel, you 700 pages, you spend a significant amount of time and people are like, what did you take away from that? Mm. I took away that it was a great book and I enjoyed reading it and flipping the pages. Were there life oh, lessons no. for me? No. And that's, that's interesting. and that's interesting, right? I got very deep into another world that I got transported to, got very deep into characters, mm. which led me to thinking uh, there is still this place for the novel as a medium in our pop culture today. And why has that endured, right? Because I think uh, what it can do is it can do something that film, which we love, TV series also, which we love, music, which we love, cannot do right and that's that in-depth layer upon layer transportation to this new world which consumes you and you live with for very intensely for one two weeks at a time Mm. these characters getting under your skin and and then i thought you know there's been this rhetoric uh since you know hundreds of years every time right industrial revolution people are going to read less the tv comes about people are going to read less right Mm -hmm. uh than this information age, right? With stuff claims such as, which I've also said myself, that modern TV series is the new novel, right? And all of this. Mm -hmm. What have I told you? That there were more books print sold in the US last year than even in 2010. That it is in fact a growing industry, despite the doom and gloom and the short attention spans. Jeez. I'm shocked. There's a lot to take in here. Yeah. How about so that? I, it's exactly against my intuition, which had you asked me at the start with no further background, how do you think books are going these days? I'd be like, uh, not well, right? And I'm hearing it anecdotally from everyone around me that everyone's saying, my attention span is shot. I can't read anything anymore. I can last like a page and then I pick up my phone again. I'm delighted to hear that you have 
had such success with it because you're, I think, in, at least in my anecdotal experience, in the minority, right? Mm -hmm. That the majority of people I talk to now, when they try to read a book, and I have to include myself in this group, uh, we get a few pages in and it becomes this very self-conscious ordeal where it's like, no, 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 focus back on the book. Come on now. You know, like mm -hmm. I get the urge to pick up the phone. This thing with the, like the picking up the phone is getting out of hand. Like me and many other people I know are reaching for it without even knowing why or deciding to. It just, it's now part of it's our reflex. Of brain chemistry. It's yeah. like forcing us to do it, right? So I think there's a, there's a challenge to be undertaken here for everybody, which is to somehow get back to this, to, to somehow like get towards... Uh, reading again as a habit for fun not because i should do it like going to the gym or something but because genuinely you will enjoy it more you know but i was also interested because i remember over the years talking to you that novels have not historically been something you've tended towards you've been more into nonfiction. so is right. this like a recent thing getting more into novels or yeah so i'd say well growing up i was you know into those young adult novels whatever then i think the moment i started you know going on to my studies university mm. and then early work years it became almost all non-fiction right yeah and those are the ones where uh it was more difficult to build this habit with um, yeah, those you do especially yeah. management ones or whatever leadership stuff exactly that you do have to kind of right? force your way through yeah. exactly and you can skip over parts and not be fully mentally invested and mm. it's fine right mm. that you can take out the bullet points and then i think it, it must have been during the, the early onset of that pandemic mm. i just got into reading two three novels in a row mm. and just the i just it just felt great i don't know how else to describe it it just felt great mm. and then the habit kick-started right yeah. and what i would get from those in terms of uh, entertainment value or just being removed mm. for a while, I would never get from nonfiction. Jeez. So yeah. now some nonfiction is written great in narrative yeah. form, whatever. I really yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. But you, you're using a very different part of the brain. You're not triggered into your imagination as much, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're reading nonfiction, a biography or whatever about somebody that you've visually seen mm. on the TV or whatever before, you're not working those same brain muscles. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's there's a big part of it uh, is that. And my, my postulation there is those book sales having remained steady, mm. uh, not necessarily because of the the prince harry autobiographies uh but more because of these uh this this method this this medium which is the novel which we can only really find in that form absolutely unreplicated yeah but then i had one more kind of question for you linked to this right because you made a very interesting point by saying what did i take away from the book nothing basically or that i looked that it was a very fun book right yeah. and perhaps the issue for me lies within that same question because when i pick up a novel if i finally do i read maybe like one every few months let's say and when i do it's because a it's been reviewed phenomenally well mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. been praised not because it's a fascinating story it's not the da vinci code or something but because it has something to say you know it's like one of those wow what a timely piece that has a, a stunning critique of the modern blah 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 whatever you know that's what pulls me in or that's what makes me pick it up because I go, right, this this sounds like it's going to be worthwhile. But then I'm engaging to a level of like critical faculty that probably is not fun for me or for right. anybody, right? It's like, this is now an academic ordeal rather right. than an entertainment one. Exactly. So that's the problem. The last few books I've read, I read um, Kazuyu Ishiguro's, most My of his, his books, yeah, great. Uh, Philip Roth, I did one by him, Indignation, one of his shorter ones. And I, I was picking them up, not because I heard, wow, it's a rip-roaring good time. It was like, this. these books have something to say about the, right. the way things are. So I think maybe what I need to do is what you're suggesting as well. It's like, 
don't worry about that so much. Like, look for books that uh, may not be about to change the world or even change your opinion, but are just here to bring you along for an interesting uh, story. Yeah. Don't uh, put too much pressure on yourself or on the author to necessarily prove something to you or, or show you the light or, or whatever, right? Mm, mm. That's what the self-help books are for, whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The novel is a mode of storytelling in the same way when you're a little kid, your parents are telling you stories before putting you to bed. Mm, mm. It's it's allowing you to tap into your imagination. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, and a novel is at its best when it is capturing your imagination, right? But I do think they have a, a fantastic role to play in illuminating or like commenting on certain topics. They definitely do. They definitely yeah. do. And that is... Uh, that is a secondary aspect which will naturally come from the mm, reading yeah. of it. And it, it shouldn't should be, be yeah. right? Yeah, 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 you yeah. shouldn't be, you know, highlighting and taking all the notes in the margins trying to decipher. Mm-hmm. You did that in your high school yeah, literature yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now sure. you're you're picking up that novel, you know, for the enjoyment. Should be. I should take it more like 90% enjoyment, 10% analysis, rather than right now I'm probably like, what am I going to analyze about this? You know, like right. that's my my starting point. So that's a very good uh, good reflection, actually. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we are. And 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 I think the, the reason I mention it is I think it's a it's an often uh, you know, it's something we we glance over when we talk about the pop culture, but mm. it's actually been one of the most enduring parts of the pop culture. You take a, mm. a Stephen King, for example, that's very much within the pop culture. As we culture, talked about in episode right? one, yeah. That's Jeez. And like, uh, it's one that we don't talk about as much. I don't know why, really, because, you know, around the water cooler, which no longer, it's not like a physical thing anymore, but you know what I mean, right? right. The, these workplace conversations, how often does somebody say, oh, I read this great book these days? Right. Like, it still happens, but it's it's rare. It's rare. Nowadays, we're talking about series, we're talking about films. Yeah. Like which oftentimes yeah. are based on. Hey, there you go. The book. Source material. Yeah. So. Well, there you go. There you have it. Our first pop culture roundup underway. We have a book in... Can you confirm one more time for the listener, the, the yeah. author in the book? So yeah. the author, Hanya Yanagihara, her mm-hmm. first book, A Little Life, was nominated for the Booker Prize, I think, in about 2016. And her newest book from 2022, To Paradise. Nice. I'm going to pick it up. Please do. Thanks for that. Well, speaking of source material and speaking, as we just did, about adaptations, how some of the best series have been based on different source material, Mm -hmm. I have one that we definitely have to check in on. It's In fact, it's a travesty we haven't mentioned this already in the show in 2023. And I'm talking, of course, about The Last of Us. The Last of Us? Yes, we're getting into it finally. For all those listeners who are like, why have they not talked about The Last of Us yet? So anyone who knows me will know I am a massive nerd gamer. And I have been a huge fan of The Last of Us since the first one came out on PS3 all those years ago. Uh, And I had to borrow my friend's PS3 to play this game. It was so highly reviewed and it's an absolutely fantastic game. How long ago was that actually? That was like when I was in college. So I guess 2000 and like... 2009 or 10 or 11 okay. or something like oh, that it, long ago it's okay. 11 maybe it came out or 12 oh. yeah so I, I should probably have, have checked that but anyway it's uh, it's old this game right oh. and for its time it was uh, insanely ahead of the curve it was produced by uh, but we're getting, talking about the game now listeners so bear with us before we get back to the series but that game was produced by a group called Naughty Dog who are known for making the Crash Bandicoot games actually prior so they had kind of deviated from doing Crash Bandicoot and started making a series called Uncharted these were these kind of Indiana Jones ripoff, um, but in a good way, like re- very well-made games, very cinematic, um, with the kind of a Nathan Fillion-style lead guy, and it, it all very kind of uh, safe and, and inoffensive, let's say. A lot of shooting, but like very Hollywood cinematic. And then they come out with The Last of Us, which was just this 
shockingly well written, well acted, fully motion captured, like amazing piece of work. But due to its nature of being a game, it just didn't really capture anything beyond the, the gamer kind mm -hmm. of culture, right? Mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't have heard what you're hearing now, which is everybody talking about this franchise, The Last of right. Us. So the series as it's coming out now, just to get all our cards on the table, I think is absolutely fantastic. I, I haven't put it up on the absolute top tier, at least not yet. We're five episodes in. I watched the fifth one this morning. I'm three episodes in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no spoilers either. But uh, it's it's if it continues on this pace and if it even improves from this pace, then it's I have it on on the it's ready to be slotted into my top five, let's say even of series of all time. Now it's not there yet, but the main reason that I'm so um, fascinated by it is because it's the first ever adaptation of a game to any film media, TV or film that uh, has gone well actually there's been so many attempts there's been all these lara croft tomb raider movies right. that are a disaster we've had uh, uncharted starring tom holland which is also a disaster we've had so many attempts there's been super mario movies mortal kombat movies street fighter movies all of them very very poor and very badly reviewed uh, and this is literally the first time since gaming's advent that we've had a series that actually captures the, the average person's interest and becomes the thing we're talking about. So you'll remember from, uh, I think it was the our big bets for 23, mm -hmm. we talked about how series nowadays, we kind of have capacity for one at a time, right? Where one is, one is the one that everyone's talking about. So it was White Lotus. It is now The Last of Us. And I'm delighted to see that. And I'm hoping it'll lead to more uh, game adaptations. The only other thing I wanted to point out, though, about it is like, I can understand why it's successful because the source material is phenomenal, right? The, the game. Yeah. As in, you can probably sit someone down watching the game, the cutscenes from the game, and they would be as compelled by the storyline because actually beat for beat, it's, it's the exact same. Like in, in the show, you've watched three episodes so far. There's many scenes from that, which are dialogue word for word and action for action taken from, uh, from the game. Okay. So it's 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 not the case that the game was you know a very basic version and this is now the you know improved version. It's very very close actually in in every in the story beats and the characters everything. And then the only other thing I wanted to to praise about it is all it has done is taken that phenomenal source material and sensitively kept the parts that are necessary to be kept while improving on all of the other parts that it can improve on. And I'm talking about episode three, so the uh, the kind of standalone episode, the long long time as it's called. Uh, with Nick Offerman in the starring role with an Emmy absolutely in the bag from his performance in that uh, in that episode, not to mention his counterpart, Murray Bartlett, who did a fantastic job. Armand from uh, The White Lotus. I didn't even know. This guy is killing HBO. He turns up and just shows up for a few episodes and absolutely destroys it in every Takes a few three-pointers, bangs them all, goes he's, back on the he's bench. Like, he's the uh, Steph Curry of... Uh, you could say of character actors yeah. I'm on from the White Lotus he is absolutely amazing and I can't do a good that's not a good answer. I should never just do that so different <laughs> it is a different accent for me indeed but uh, I guess what I, I wanted to make sure I cover all those points what are your thoughts on it by the way so far so I started this week mm -hmm. uh, I've seen three episodes uh, I got into it because while I was away I was getting messages from you, from, from a few other friends saying, The Last of Us, best show on television at the moment. Mm -hmm. People like you said, as good as the games. Others said, I never played the games. I like it. And I was reading a little bit about it without going too much into depth because I was like, okay, I'm probably going to watch this. Um, and I was like a bit turned off when I heard zombie, mm -hmm. apocalypse pandemic mm -hmm. even video game there's a bit of a stigma yeah, yeah. as you said they yeah. haven't been successful adaptations in the yeah. past yeah. um 
ultimately I got into it and I'm I'm blown away uh, by the show. I've been very intrigued. I think long episodes, I mean, almost almost movie length episodes some even an hour and 20 minutes right Mm -hmm. hold my attention the whole time they terrify me Mm -hmm. so it's an incredibly physical viewing experiences those zombies with the fungus all over them some of the most disgusting stuff i've ever seen on Mm -hmm. screen uh yesterday i was watching that third episode by myself uh i can't convince maria when it comes to like Mm -hmm. apocalyptic shows so Mm -hmm. by myself and i actually let out a scream at one point with one of these things showed up even though i was seeing it coming um unbelievable uh in that sense the other key takeaway for me is like you said there's always that one show at a time Mm -hmm. No coincidence that that one show at a time is almost always an HBO yeah, I have show. To say, I have to say, like the the distance now for me to canceling Netflix is shorter than it's ever been before. Like, Get I'm, out! I haven't canceled it yet, but like no. I'm very close. Because what is there? Like, the, really, what new thing on Netflix has come out? That's good. I literally... Maria and I turned on Netflix after lunch today before before yeah. coming here into yeah. the studio. And the only thing we could find to watch was a Gerard Butler movie. Because at least you know what you're going to get from yeah, Gerard Butler. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that was Jeez. it. But HBO. Think of also the versatility, the variety in terms of these creators and the source material they use. So I forget his name now, but the the what, the guy that adapted uh, The Last of Us, yeah. right? Craig Mazin. Craig yeah. Mazin. Yeah. He did Chernobyl first. Completely different source material. Then we have The White Lotus. Mike White, just brilliant. And I know now you finally watched The White Lotus. I'm proud of you. Big fan. Big fan, right? Uh, Then we have Succession. Jesse Armstrong, just Mm -hmm. maybe one of the best writing rooms on on, on television. Um, I was listening to to your friends uh, at the Watch podcast last week. (laughs) Andy Andy and Chris. And, And actually, they had on there the head of HBO as a guest. And uh, none of this is any surprise. The amount of creative freedom he gives to these uh, to these creators and these writers, that's what it results in. It makes me think, you know, if I'm a creative person nowadays, who do I want to collaborate with? It's probably HBO. Absolutely. So buy the podcast, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Jeez. It's uh, it's just phenomenal. So we, we decided we wouldn't go too deep into this one because we're only the thing is only five episodes in in season one. We know it's been renewed now for season two, which is brilliant news, by the way, because the sequel, the second game, at Last Was Part Two, is in many ways way better than the first. Or at least I'm I'm this divides the fan base, but I would say two is actually better than one in many ways. I uh, heard there there will definitely be a second season. At least, yeah. yeah. And I've heard uh, Neil Druckmann, who's the the director of, of the game, not the the TV although he works on the show, but he has said that the second game is so dense, uh, and I'm inclined to agree with him, that it might require two seasons, actually, to get through it all. So we may be talking two more seasons at least, even just to cover the game content. Mm-hmm. And now, then after that, we may have a uh, an unfortunate Game of Thrones-like situation where the source material runs out and they keep it going. I hope that's not the case. Right. Uh, or we might have a Walking Dead situation where it just goes on and on and on and on mm-hmm. and on and everyone loses interest. I hope they know what they're doing and they can capitalize on it and not run the thing into the ground. But so far, all signs are pointing to this is a really, really good show. And shout out to Pedro Pascal. Oh, I mean, unbelievable. Great guy. Just incredibly good acting. And I, I, had, I was one of the doubters, right? Because the, the actor who plays Joel um, is a very different kind of person with a different, more gruff, more downbeat kind of a performance in the game. Uh, and of course, Pedro achieves that and it still, still comes across convincingly as this kind of a man with a troubled past, let's say. 
but uh, I had my dad's coming in, but he's absolutely smashed it. So uh, yeah. loving it. And yeah. Pedro Pascal, originally born in Chile. Exactly. Yeah, but with no sign of an accent. I mean, like you often, I, I'm often just expectant of a of a, someone with English as a second language to come in with a hint of an accent. You know, right. like he's, me. He's convincing. Ah, you you have your your American accent uh, <laughs> pretty locked down, I would say. But like, uh, yeah, just very convincing, at least for me as a yeah. as a non American. But uh, but also kills the Spanish. Have you seen Narcos, the, yeah, the original Narcos yeah, yeah, in yeah. Colombia? He's yeah. uh, Agent Pena. Talk about another guy who's up for an Emmy. I think it'll be between him. He'll get probably lead actor Emmy, I guess, when mm. all is said and done. And Nick Offerman is getting the uh, best supporting actor. Guarantee. Calling it now. All right. Well, let's see what happens with our beloved succession in a couple months as well. Because I think your postulation about succession is actually likely to come true. I think it may fall flat this season. The trailer yeah. wasn't so hot, the was it? The trailer was not so good. It was like... It was like AI wrote the script based on all the previous ones. ChatGPT. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like ChatGPT does succession. It was, yeah, worrying, let's say. I hope they know what they're doing. Hopefully they're trolling us. I'll right? still watch it. Like, I'll still enjoy oh, it. Even well, if we have to for yeah, the podcast. For, the, for sure. But then also just, I, I love the characters. I'll watch it no matter what. But um, yeah, let's hope they stick, yeah. stick the landing. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. The Last of Us. We'll probably be back to touch upon that as the, as the season evolves. For sure. Uh, you know, if I don't... Uh, have any any significant issues uh, being terrified we may by... have to abandon it yeah jeez. Yeah, well let's see but uh definitely another one uh that we're interested to hear any other takes on if, if listeners have them so please do fire away and i think without further ado we'll, we'll jump to a quick break and then come back with our remaining uh pop culture roundups Hello, listener. Welcome back to the Lost in Postulation podcast, continuing here with our pop culture roundup. So I've got one for you, Neil. Hit me. It's a listening recommendation. Mm-hmm. About a podcast. Hey. Yeah. We shouldn't be uh, sending traffic away from ours, but uh, <laughs> no. I guess we'll make an exception. Think this of time. it as a cross promotion. Um, so there's an abundance uh, of, of podcasts out at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can really, any any topic rabbit hole you want to go down to, you can click into them, uh, of course, after you've listened to Lost in Postulation. Uh, so maybe this will help narrow down the selection. Something I've started devouring the last three months or so is a podcast called The Rest is History. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the rest of history is hosted by two UK historians, Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook, mm-hmm. um, of, of quite a high pedigree within, you know, as, as historians with, with a lot of books, you know, on, on the lecture circuit, everything. And they managed to do something which I think very few uh, podcasters managed to do, which is take what could be considered at face value quite dull and laborious topics. Uh, such as, you know, the Crusades or something, right? Pack them into a 40-minute episode where the chemistry between these guys is so uh, is so great, with filled with lighthearted banter, but a lot of background uh, on the topics uh, that you really uh, you you really enjoy learning about history again. So it's not just for, they've managed to take it from an arena of uh, just for history nerds or history buffs mm. uh, to to something that can appeal to the masses, which I think is, is just a huge achievement in and of itself, right? You have 
uh, more fun and easier topics, say like the Watergate scandal, filled with banter, by the way. Mm. They did like a three-part series. Uh, oh. Highly recommend it. That's One nice. of their best. You have heavier stuff, as mentioned, you know, the, uh, the, the Crusades or Tupac Amaru, whatever. But the point being, for me here, there, there's a postulation about if I had had that kind of learning experience in school, mm-hmm. I would have probably enjoyed my history classes even more. So are there learnings there we can also take, you know, without getting too meta about this, but from from an education perspective of, you know, maybe you, especially when we talk about lowering attention spans, whatever, mm-hmm. kids, you know, not, uh, not, not necessarily being in, in love with the way teachers think, you're very much, uh, you know, uh, at the mercy of how good of a teacher you have in terms of what you'll get out of mm-hmm. classes mm-hmm. oftentimes. Uh, there, there's some learnings here from uh, making uh, academic content entertaining. Absolutely. And it, as you say it, though, it raises all sorts of follow-up questions in my head, right? Because mm-hmm. you're probably correct that if you wanted to maximize, say, a child's uh, intake of historical knowledge, the way you would do it is through the most engaging, fun way possible, which is what this podcast right. sounds like. I haven't listened to it, right? But then again, there is something to be said, and I can't believe I'm saying this, and me as a child would, would kill me for saying this, but isn't part of education acquiring the skills to glean information in a non-engaging way or like just cracking the books mm. and getting down to it, right? Because there is a danger, I think, with this. And by the way, I have no qualification to talk about education whatsoever. So leave leave that also at the door. But I wonder if education is made as frictionless as possible, if we cater as much as possible to the tendencies or the needs of mm. a kid, do you lose then the, the the learned grit and determination that we've picked up potentially from an education system that isn't all, you know, soft edges and, and mm. you know, mm. I wonder, and, and it's not what you were here to postulate about, so sorry for taking us so far off piece. I, I like the point. But I think it's an interesting one that you're here now enjoying the historical content and, and speculating as to whether it would have helped your classes. Mm-hmm. And you're probably right that it, you would have taken on more information. However, would you have lost perhaps that same level of grit and determination that you have now through going through such an education system that required sheer determination to sit down, mm. read the damn thing and learn it off, right? What about like as a, and I think that's a very valid point, right? Because it's also about you developing your own uh, analytical mindset, if you will, yeah, uh, exactly. in school and being able to filter through information. Mm. What about as a, like a bait and hook strategy where mm. content like that is your introduction into something uh, which piques your interest as a student, yeah. and then you're more likely to actually 100%. go deeper into the textbook. And I think that's the that's the that's the key. You need to find a way to get them in. Just get the hooks in so that the kids will, from there, you know, go deeper. Right. It reminds me a bit of we used to read Shakespeare in school, you know, um, where the teacher would assign each of us one of the characters so that rather than just reading it line by line, we would be basically acting it out in the classroom. Right. And there was a kind of a weird excitement to it when it was your turn coming up and you knew you were going to be Romeo. And it was like, you know, yeah. these, these are the, and the text for a 15 year old is extremely inaccessible, as you know, like if you've yeah. read Shakespeare, right? We did Macbeth. Yes. Yeah, so we actually, yeah. Similar fashion. Yeah. So amazing story, Macbeth. Brilliant adaptations out there, actually. Maybe we'll do an episode on that someday. One with Denzel recently. Oh yeah, that yeah. one I haven't seen. I, there's ones with uh, James McAvoy when he's a chef. It's like a modern uh, take on it. Uh, anyway, now we're, now we're way <laughs> off, off piece, but I think my point was just that 
Shakespeare is, I remember day one of us doing Shakespeare in school where everyone left the classroom just being like, what the hell mm -hmm. is this? This is not, this makes no sense. It's mm -hmm. not English. But then over time, through these kind of fun uh, interactions, we, we get into it and some people run with it and, and end up loving it and then some never come around to it, but at least, you know, they have an appreciation right. for, for what it is right. or whatever. So I think you're probably right that it's a balance, right? That we need to, with anything, and especially history, it's like make it accessible for an audience, especially young audiences, and then hope that that in ignites some sort of interest in the person where they then go on to to explore more themselves. But that yeah. sounds like a great podcast all the same. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I think a big part of it also, as we're building out our podcast, something we're, we're really always on the lookout for is, uh, you know, ways to to be creative ways to tackle uh different complex at times concepts and the the chemistry between hosts right mm. which is a big part why you and i chose to to go on this together right where sure. it could be totally different if if we didn't uh, have that or, or the perceived chemistry absolutely least, right i mean it's it, it is still i think more art than science podcasts right that yeah when one absolutely bangs and, and goes global and like with the way serial did back then right right I don't think you can take the story of Adnan Syed and have a guaranteed banger podcast on your hand. It's the way it was delivered, the the amazing pacing of the story and the drip feeding of right. salacious information as it went through that made it so uh, so popular and of its time that I think, it, again, like we talked about with Gangnam Style, if you release Serial now, maybe it doesn't become the global success that it was right. you know, at the time. So I think, yeah, my, my point is like, let's take what we can from the, from the best in the business out there, while at the same time remaining true to whatever it is we think is good about what we do. You got it. Got it in one. You okay. got it. So but that's super interesting. on my listening. Absolutely. And I love it. I'll, another one I need to take down. I think you're a, a pretty solid recommender as it goes. So I will... Uh, Definitely uh, have a listen to that one as well. I try my best. Well, you can you can come for me on the next episode if you don't like it. Exactly. I love, love the format, but I can always <laughs> just come back and complain. Well, uh, from one type of recommendation to another, I'm uh, interested to talk about something we haven't spent really much time at all on the podcast today talking about, which is food and dining and the restaurant experience. I know we talked sandwiches at the start, which was a, an excellent choice of a mundane postulation to start off with. Uh, and... I don't want to spend too much time talking about this restaurant specifically. What I would like to try and get at here is perhaps a, re a revelation I had about what makes a good dining experience. Because I had one recently hmm. where I came away absolutely blown away, more okay. so than I was coming away from some of the quote unquote best restaurants in the world. Mm -hmm. And I have to I had to really think about and talk to to Yura about my girlfriend and talk to everyone about why is it that I love this place so much. So the place I'm talking about, for anyone who's based in Denmark, they might know it, they might have been there. It's in Copenhagen. It's called Lee's Kitchen. It's a very small, bustling uh, Chinese restaurant in Nurebrook, very close to here, actually, where we are. Shout out to Lee. Shout out to Lee and his kitchen. But I had heard good things and, and actually Yura put it on, put me onto it and she said, let's go. And we rock up and the whole thing is it's like a blur almost. It's it's a chaos from the start, right? Okay. So um, you get there and it's like, what do you want? Okay, yeah, yeah, just uh, give me one sec. Like it's all just complete madness. There's a counter and then there's just as many tables per square foot as you could possibly have. Oh, You're God. dining with people elbow to elbow, back to back. You're like really squeezed in. And from the start, they're like, okay, we have a table, but you got an hour max, maybe an hour and a half. Just wow. like you're going to just, we're going to throw the food out and you just eat it and go. And Stressful. 
100% right. But we're like, okay, uh, this place is jam-packed. There's one table available. Everyone seems to be loving it. So let's see what the big deal is, right? They throw the menus and they're like, okay, uh, there's five things. There's just like uh, pork, chicken, whatever, uh, duck. Choose what you want. Come up to the bar and order it when you want, right? So again, it's like, uh, okay, this is not, you know, the, the Copenhagen restaurant experience we've come to expect. But we go along with it. The, their staff are all very nice. They're just obviously very busy, right? We go up, you pay in advance, you get the stuff. Uh, you order what you want, right? It arrives. It's a mountain of food, like and at a very good price by Copenhagen right. standards. And it is, first and foremost, it tastes fantastic. So it's just like amazing, amazing Chinese food. I got the crispy duck. You got the, the spicy chicken. Okay. Amazing, right? So all of this to say, basically, even though the, the, the incoming service was basically dreadful or like by, by what we're used to standards pretty terrible the food was more than making up for any negativity we felt about that right and not only that then so it was the fantastic food amazingly quick service the food flew out like within a few minutes they only have five things on the menu basically so it's like it's going to be quick no matter what amazing price portions were amazing staff were lovely but at the same time we finished eating and we were like let's get out of here like this isn't a place that you're going to want to take in the ambiance and you know okay. get a second stick drink, around. even get a dessert. Even like okay. we a bit like the McDonald's effect of like you know the way McDonald's have made their chairs intentionally uncomfy so they can get a higher turnover of people. They've right? done a lot of stuff. Over yeah, there. they've yeah. done some stuff. This is one of them. But uh, this restaurant, perhaps unintentionally, does the same thing, which is like it's not a chill place to be. As as you heard from my description, like yeah. it's it's quite a hectic uh, experience from start to finish. So as soon as the food is gone and you've finished your drinks and whatever, we were like, cool, like we've already paid. We can just walk out. Like this is a, this is super efficient and quick, right? And it's great for them because the table frees up, they get the next person in. There's a queue at the door for mm-hmm. people to come in, right? So to summarize, this, this restaurant has no comfort whatsoever. The chairs are like very basic. You're squeezed in, as I say. No decor basically at all. It's a Chinese restaurant, but they've barely done anything with the decor. All right. It's like a, a plain white room basically full of, full of tables and chairs. There's no none of that cordial over-respect that you get, especially from the Michelin restaurants mm. that you go to here or anywhere. You're basically give, barely given the time of day and you're told you either have a table or you don't. And there's the, you scan a QR code, you need to join the queue virtually, whatever. It's very over-engineered and I don't think people fully get it, right? But friendly, that service? But somehow still friendly, where okay. they're like, they want you to have a good time. Like, they want you to feel like you're getting good value for money, mm-hmm. but they're not here to to pander to you or to be oh, like, okay. what would you, yeah, could, would you, maybe you'd like a drink, like none of this kind of no, no. overly formal kind of interaction. And it's a, it's a one and done menu. It's like literally... The five things, as I said, like, so they're not here to be like, what, what, how can we cater to your every need today? It's the opposite. It's like, if you're coming here, we do a few things that we do really, really well. We're going to fire them out to you. You're going to eat it and then you're going to get out, basically. Right, right. And they're like, that's the proposition. And for some reason, maybe just, maybe because I was in need of something novel or something, uh, yeah, maybe I had been starved of novel dining experiences recently. But this in particular was like a mind blower for me. That's and I fascinating. Just, I came out, walked out just feeling like, this was the best value dining experience I've had in ages. In wow. Copenhagen. Yeah. Wow. So I suppose to wrap all of this up now into some kind of a postulation, I think there's a lot to be said for taking a step back for anything, for any service or any any experience that you're going to have and really question, what is it about this that I actually like? Right? right. Because you can fall victim to the Michelin trap like I have 
of thinking because it's the most expensive restaurant, it therefore it will be the one that I enjoy most, right? Mm -hmm. And I've been to Noma, I've been to Alchemist, Geranium, all the big ones here in Copenhagen. And then feeling like to be part of the discourse that you need to like it, even though yeah, deep down well, you may not have been crazy about it. 100%. Talk about buyer's remorse, right? Like, um, I think when you when your wallet has just taken such a hit, you would have to you'd have to be pretty brave and honest with yourself to say that was not <laughs> a good use of what is thousands of kroner actually you know like yeah. at the end of the day and uh, not not to trash those michelin restaurants i'm not here to say they're terrible those are great places and especially no one alchemist when, when i've been i absolutely love them but then i also think I, I can come away almost feeling just as good from spending less than 200 kroner on a chinese meal mm -hmm. from lee's you know so i think uh something to, to postulate on further perhaps which is just like what is it we actually want when we when we splash out and go for a meal and is it really what we expect or is it something else right this, right. Were, this was my my main point to uh, to try and raise here I think that's fascinating. I think the expectations, like you said, play a big role in that, right? True. And I think to be able to pull off what, what your friend Lee is pulling off there, mm -hmm. you need to be uh, highly specialized and focused mm -hmm. in what you're serving uh, and be consistently quality at, yeah. at it, as yeah. it sounds like they are, right? Because mm -hmm. if I look at when I'm you know, evaluating a restaurant experience, right? Mm. There's three factors. Food is one of them, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. right? But you can also cook good food at home. And in big cities, you have plenty of places to get good food, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. then you have two other factors, one being atmosphere yep. uh, and the other uh, being service and service level, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you have to, I think the balance is in squaring these things as well as possible, of course, with different weights, right? So with this Lee, it was, from the sound of it, so high on the food, mm -hmm. good enough, right, on the service. Mm -hmm. uh, and the atmosphere was more uh, like, get out of here, right? So you wouldn't go there just to hang mm -hmm. out, as you said, and There's have a drink not. while your friends are eating. Definitely not. Right? But so, not offensive at the same time. So right. to, to be clear, they have somehow managed to toe the line that with minimal investment, they have made a place that's nice to be. It's like it's not absolutely horrible as an right. environment. You're not like get me out of here ASAP. But what, by the time you finish eating, there's no reason to hang around, right? Yeah. You're not going to listen to the jazzy music or like, right. there's nothing like that, you know. Right. So, I guess it's it's just a masterful balance. And I don't know if it's even fully intentional. I think it's this kind of weird yeah. magical coincidence that it turns into this very cool experience. But uh, and and that's the key, though, right? They found that balance between the three things, which makes it a good experience, yeah. weighted average. And the proof is in the pudding. Would you go back there? Absolutely. There you go. That's I'm gonna it. go today potentially. I'm like, I get, I'm like, get me back there ASAP. Yeah. I'm going tomorrow. Not like I'm actually quite keen on it. Get Hope there. Get there early, right? Yeah. Because uh, yeah, once they're open, I think there's a queue pretty much nonstop. So and there's no reservations, you said? Not that I know of. Okay. Although I didn't, I didn't dig into that one too deeply. But in any case, we just showed up. So uh, sounds like vibes. Yeah. Oh, it's vibes. Vibes for days. All right. Absolutely. I love it. That's what uh, Lost in Postulation is all about. Vibes for all days. About the vibes. Absolutely. Well, there you go. Two Good. more cultural roundups in the bag, pop culture yeah, roundups. Look at that. And uh, from here, we're going to be diving into a, a bit of a rapid fire. Let's well, rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. So should we jump? Are you ready to go with your first rapid fire? Yeah, because actually it feeds off of, uh, feeds, no pun intended, yeah. off of what, what the topic you were on, which is food. Uh, and Neil, I recommend jerk. I have no idea what you mean. Cool, huh? Yeah. Jerk is a, is a spice used very much in Jamaica to make jerk chicken, but also jerk fish. And it is 
I had it while I was there. Mm-hmm. It is uh, totally different from, from any other spice I've used before in mm-hmm. terms of uh, it's a green spice. It's not a red spice, if that tells you anything, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just got this right balance between the kick, right? Uh-huh. And still being edible without stealing the show, right? Okay. Um, basically, what you do, you take your chicken, you marinate it in this jerk spice with also some lemon liquid, mm-hmm. whatever, for mm-hmm. about 12 hours. Okay. Then you make your chicken as you would, hmm. and you will love it. So I've been struggling all the way through this segment because I'm like, where does it come <laughs> it's only from? Been like 30 seconds. I know, but it, my, the entire time my brain has been running the loop of where does this thing come from? Like, what what is the actual? Because I I don't know how I've made it this long in life without really knowing anything about this. But I I know it's a spice. I know spices come from stuff, and this has to come from a thing. Do you know where it comes from? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, it is uh, what you would call an uh, an aggregate. Spice, ah, okay. I guess, right? So they, they throw a few together, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay. So within it, but nobody really knows, you know, mm, the balance of this, own, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So okay. you have allspice, onions, garlic, Scotch bonnet peppers, and that's the key one yeah. because we don't have those Scotch bonnet peppers growing outside okay. our gardens here, okay. right? So that's what makes it very also yeah. Yeah. Jamaican in this sense. Yeah. Soy sauce, brown sugar, ginger, cinnamon. Listeners, I don't know this off the top of my head. I'm reading yeah, he it out. Reading. Uh, yeah, Nutmeg, cloves, cloves, and thyme. Jeez. Think of a, all that spice. Of a shopping list there. Coming together, though, into mm. something uniform. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, then it's just Exactly. And it's a powder. Like, um, so the onions and everything, that's all powdered. Like, or Yeah, it's like, like leafy powder, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leafy powder. Like, I'm all for trying it. I literally yeah. just wouldn't even know where to start. Can you get it here? Or I, I have some in my pantry, which oh. I brought back from Jamaica. Okay. Try yeah. putting that in your luggage. It's a green spice yeah. when you're on yeah, a flight yeah. from Jamaica so to Miami. Like, it was a bit borderline, <laughs> yeah. but I yeah. got it through. Nice. Uh, so I'm happy to, to share that with you. We can marinate our chicken. We can propose it to Lee's as part hey. of a joint venture. I think they'll shoot it down, have it, seeing as it's not. <laughs> Not uh, Chinese whatsoever, <laughs> but uh, still uh, fascinating. Like, and great to feel that there's a world of spice out there that I literally know nothing about. It's a, uh, it's exciting. And it sounds very You're a nice. big spice guy, no? I like I'm more and more, more and more. Mm-hmm. Like when we went to Thailand, I was going. I was like, no, no, give me the, give me the full hit because they, they do. Do you want it like Western levels or real <laughs> you spice? Want that weak European yeah, stuff. Exactly. And I was like, no, no, give me the Thai. Yeah. Like, give me the real thing. And yes, you do suffer through a few dishes now and then, but. Ultimately, it's uh, it's way better. So you build yeah. the tolerance, right? Exactly, like with exactly. your favorite topic of saunas. Absolutely, we need to. St- we're, we're quickly becoming a sauna podcast now, so we need <laughs> the to. Suffering is quickly, necessary. Yeah, we need to diversify a little from that topic. But um, fascinating, all the same. Yeah, yeah. Jerk chicken, jerk or just chicken, jerk spice, and yeah, jerk, yeah, and that you can jerk your fish. You can jerk. Just give it those twelve hours, <laughs> you though. It's worth it. Absolutely. Well, I'm sorry about that, yeah, listeners. Yeah. Uh, Lost in postulation. Um, so, Neil. Hit yeah. me with a rapid fire. Rapid fire. Let's see. So uh, I wanted to touch on music. And we haven't actually, we, we spent episode two talking about One Hit Wonders, and then we, we drifted a bit from music as a topic. So good to good to come back to it here. And I, unfortunately, like many people who have reached the age of, say, over 25 or so, struggle with new music. He's a bit older than 25. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not giving all the game away here. But um, it, I do have a point to this. So there's been some research to suggest that when we reach a certain age, above which I think it was like 1920 even, mm. our ability to absorb or care about new music actually declines, right? So I didn't suffer from that so much in my 20s. I'm now a little older than, than 20s. Uh, and 
now I'm definitely on, on borderline. I'm uh, yeah, enjoying my 30s. And uh, <laughs> the, the interesting thing is only in the last few years, I really felt it where I would read a review of an album and it gets absolutely sparkling reviews. And it's even from an artist who I love or have mm. loved previously. And I, I throw it on and like for one reason or another, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see it. It's, it's good. It's like well written, but it doesn't like capture. It doesn't grab me, right? At least the vast majority of stuff. And that's a shame, but I was like, yeah, you know, I guess it is what it is. And I'll go back to the, the old reliables regularly, the stuff I was obsessed with as a teenager, which I would literally compulsively listen to, you know, like as much as possible. Britney Spears. <laughs> what have you. Yeah. Um, a little bit. So what I realized though recently is that there was in the last like three or four months, a couple of artists who have just completely overturned that and grabbed my attention in a way that I okay. haven't had in, in a long time, actually. So I wanted to shout them out and also just kind of try and guess what's going on. Why am I so uh, grabbed by these? And I'm talking about um, two artists in particular, two artists featuring a female vocalist and then one other female vocalist that I wanted to, to shout out. So Ways Blood and Jockstrap. Okay. Way's Blood is, is basically a stage name for an American uh, singer. She's absolutely amazing. A songwriter with loads of material. She just released her fifth album and it's an absolute oh, wow. okay. banger. Fascinating names. Yeah, yeah Way's Blood. Yeah, but um, it's W-E-Y-E-S and then B-L-O-O-D. Okay. And what's interesting about this one is I was put onto it by the amazing reviews it got. It got unbelievably strong reviews. And uh, I went in listening and from the start, you're like, eh, what is this? Yeah, it just very low key kind of pop. Well, seemingly well written, but I was like, yeah, I don't really get this. And then what happens is you're doing something else, right? I was playing PlayStation or I was, you know, doing going about my day. And the song was like turning around in my head, mm. Children of the Empire, yeah. one, of her, one of the first songs of the album. And I was like, I just want to go listen to it again. And I haven't had that in such a long time where I'm like, I have to go listen to this compulsively, you know. And then so the addiction starts. And now I've been listening to that on repeat for like weeks now, just this album. Oh, wow. And there's nothing crazy complex about it. It's not like I'm trying to figure it out. Like it's all there. It all, it all you know, speaks for itself. It's mm. very simple mm. stuff, but it's just very addictive. And I don't know why. Same with um, the album Jockstrap. I love you, Jennifer B is the name of the album, but the, the group is called Jockstrap. It's Jockstrap. A, a duo from the UK, uh, female vocalist, male producer. And again, just like crazy, a bit more out there, a bit more creative. Some of the songs, they, the songs vary through lots of different genres as they go. It's oh, like okay. quite, quite out there. But again, just feeding that addiction that I'm like, I have to go listen to this again. Mm. And all of this kind of brings me back to uh, one artist in particular that I think both of these are a bit inspired by or at least referencing which is fiona apple so i wanted to at least give a shout out to those three because fiona apple i'm like constantly amazed by and mainly in fact due to one aspect of her songwriting which is rhythm right her her use of rhythm both in her vocal lines but also in the actual drumming or in the the performance of the instruments are is is fantastic so a rapid fire postulation here. I wanted to give it first of all a shout out to those three. Great. Ways Blood, Jockstrap, and Fiona Apple. And also maybe just throw out the question there that am I alone in this? Or like is anybody else feeling that, you know, less and less they're being captured by music in the same way they used to, you know? No, I'm in fact I'm I'm glad you did that work for me because now mm. I'm gonna go and listen to those three without having to to do the search. Well, I there you go. I'm in the same place where mm. I'm not uh actively trying to discover new music if i'm somewhere and there is a great sound i might shazam it on my mm, phone but mm. other than that what i see myself doing is actually almost going more backwards and mm. discovering my parents music yeah, yeah. than uh, than getting into what what the hit of the moment is mm. uh and i don't know if it's if it's lazy or if it's 
like you said, there is something in the brain that peaks mm, to that mm. music of your adolescence, and yeah. that's what you stick to. Yep. Um, because that was when we had the discussion, I think, uh, on on the Spotify rap for this year, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. I was like, I was telling you, yeah, now I've gone back to the rap music, which I was listening to as a teenager. Yeah, and yeah. like, there there's something to that. But uh it it sh- we, we should be be careful with that right because mm-hmm. there is constantly great new music coming out mm-hmm. um a lot of it you you got to put in put in the work probably to uh to discover yeah. it, the new artists right exactly that's and the daunting part maybe perhaps and i also wanted to caveat that what i love has a high chance of falling flat for you right so mm-hmm. i could even suspect that you might listen to these three and be like this is terrible or like this is not at all for me you know so i guess that's the cool thing with music is that like even if i can give you a recommendation that i absolutely love there's a high chance that you'll be like nah this mm-hmm. isn't for me mm-hmm. but i guess that's the challenge like, it's like you can't force it you can't go like i'm going to listen to all of kendrick lamar's albums and even if i hate them i'm going to just keep listening till i love them like right. that's not going to work you have to follow you know what you genuinely right. want to hear right and it might surprise you where it brings you. But uh, yeah, that was my learning anyway over the past while. I love it. Thanks for sharing. I'll dive into those while I'm on my way to Lee's. And what was our sandwich guy? Uh, Hiko. Hiko. Hiko sandwich. Hiko sandwich. Yeah, Thank you yeah, for sponsoring yeah. the podcast. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, Neil, should we get out of here? Absolutely. Thanks again, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Lost in Postulation. And looking forward to seeing them once more for episode 10. Come yes, on, big milestone coming up. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Send us uh, your thoughts, your comments, your feedback. We're here for you.